Hello, fellow rabbit hole dwellers. We've got Alex Svetsky on um, Rabbit Hole Stories today. And um, obviously we're talking about Spirit Satoshi and uh, intelligence. And it evolved into quite an interesting discussion. Um, and we ventured into a couple of interesting points. And um, I'm curious about what you think of what the episode was, Joel. I think you took away a lot of the... Um can you call it attack points against Alex? Uh, I mean, he's very outspoken, you know, he, yeah. he says what he thinks and stuff, but sort of underneath it shows, okay, there, there is a, a lot of thinking going on. He, he talked us through all of these different aspects of how they want to evolve, mm. Spirit of Satoshi, what the ideas are, how they want to use um, actually a very specific product to fill a very specific need in the market or for other Bitcoin businesses. So that was a really cool thing essentially how he got into Bitcoin is also a very interesting story. So I think there are many different aspects to his story and to what he does on a daily basis. And uh, yeah, all in all, all in all, a great effort and a good episode so far. No, I enjoyed it. So I'm going to go straight into the episode now, guys. Enjoy it and stay curious. Welcome back, everyone, to Rabbit Hole Story today with another exciting guest. And we have Alex Wetzky on. Alex, you've been the co-founder, founder of the first Bitcoin ECA service first Bitcoin AI service now, and you publish an annual report with uh, the BTC Times. Do you even get time to like sleep or stuff? Or what do you do throughout the day? Oh, man, I, uh, this is all I do. I work. I just get myself into trouble with like 10 million ideas. And um, I, I don't know, I have a, I guess I've got a decent ability to delegate stuff. And then when I, when I do focus in on things, I can like my output is pretty high, but uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I've, I've got this knack for, I don't know if I should even call it a knack, maybe mental disease of like starting <laughs> 10 things. And, um, and yeah, do, do you know what's funny? Cause like last year I said, all right, that's it. I'm simplifying my life. Like, cause I, I exited um, Amber about mm. in almost two years now. So it was actually the Jan January of 2022. Like I, I finished with the last company. I said, that's mm. it. I'm done. I'm sick of building Bitcoin businesses. Um, it's too much of a nightmare. I'm just going to write. So I spent all of last year writing. And then at the end of last year, I was like, fuck this shit. It's not enough. So then I started a freaking AI company. Then I start, you know, this, and I do that. And I'm like, now I've got too many things going on. I'm like, fuck, what am I doing? <laughs> Alex, I feel you because I'll tell you what, I went through a process before discovering Bitcoin, that is, of wanting to simplify my life. And I went through a series of things just to try and sort of like simplify my life as much as possible because it was chaotic at best. But then I discovered Bitcoin and I fell down the infamous Bitcoin rabbit hole. And ever since then, it's just motivated me just to sort of occupy um, and sort of spread out into that space and come up with new ideas and sort of... Uh, put my curious hat on and our, our tagline we usually use here at Rabbit Hole mm -hmm. Stories is stay curious. And I think once you've discovered Bitcoin um, and you understand the significance that it can bring about in the world, you're forever now exploring this rabbit hole to try and disprove that hypothesis in some way, right? Um, and um, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent now, so bear with me. This, this often happens on, on our show, so I do apologize. <laughs> but you know, you start to sort of like question everything, right? And you start to sort of see things from maybe different perspectives. But what I sometimes feel, and I don't know if you agree with this, um, once you get fixated on an idea, sometimes it's hard to see other people's perspectives in the space. And I think we uh, sometimes in the Bitcoin ecosystem, we're sometimes in danger of doing a lack of verification. We just sort of go with the sound bites out there or we, you know, we don't necessarily verify that the information out there. And I don't know if that's anything that resonates with you with what I've just said. I mean, it does, I, but that's, I, I would argue that that's not just the Bitcoin space. I think that's the whole world. You know, people, people live on sound bites. Mm -hmm. And I think the people's attention point. span has like shrunk to such a degree these days that, I mean, you know, the only thing they can absorb now is a fucking fart or a TikTok video. Mm. Like, you know, that, that's about it. Mm. So it's, um, yeah. 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 But I, I think that's a sad reality, but I would, uh, I would say it's much broader than Bitcoin. Yeah. 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 Is that yeah. also, do you think sometimes, cause when people engage with you, um, online, like I could say this because uh, when I met you in Lugano, I was like, oh yeah, this is Alex. He has a tendency, you know, to be very vocal on Twitter and such. And then they meet you in real life and you go like, hey, he's actually much nicer than what he appears to be online. So it's funny that you sort of have these different personalities, but you're more of a straight shooter, I would say. Is that something you've been picking up along the slack, along the way? Or have you always been someone who says, 
I have my beliefs, I have my things of going about these things. And if I see something I don't like, I'll call it out. Or where do you think your, your, your sort of your Bitcoin persona emerged out, out there? Yeah, I think I was always like that since I was young, right? So I, you know, I, I guess if I, you know, there's that classic Talebian saying, you know, if you see a fraud, but you don't say fraud, you are a fraud sort of thing. And that kind of, uh, you know, maybe from a young age was ingrained in me somehow. Um, I always had a, um, a sort of desire to tell the truth and things like that. And, and, and this isn't sort of me holier than thou or anything like that. It's just like, if, if something's two plus two and then someone's sitting there trying to convince me that it's five, I'm like, well, no, it's not like, and, and I just like, it, it, and I don't know. I've, I've had this like rebellious streak in me where, you know, I, I still remember like I was in a chocolate shop actually in Berlin during the lockdowns and, um, and I, I refused fundamentally to wear any masks anywhere. I just didn't care. It's, you know, and, and I remember walking into this, uh, uh, chocolate shop and this grandma, like this old lady next to me, she like, uh, she, you know, she pretended like, because I walked next to her and I said, look, can I get that chocolate there? She was like, Oh my God. You know, like freaked out. I was like, are you fucking okay? Like, you know, it, what's the problem yeah, here? And then like, she, she said something to the, um, to the lady, like, you know, you shouldn't serve this guy or something like that. And I, you know, I was, I was practicing a little bit of German then, so I understood, I was like, you know, and I, I don't know, I, I ended up causing a scene, but I think to, to come back to, uh, Joe's question, it's like, I, I have been known to be a straight shooter. Um, I, I am to some people, I come off a little bit rude. Um, definitely my Twitter persona is, um, is an exaggeration of my real life persona. And, and I think, you know, Twitter and online is just an exaggeration of everyone's persona. Like, you know, anyone that I meet, they're always uh, edgier online. And, and I mean, also the nims are really funny too. Like I've met a lot of the Bitcoin nims and you sort of imagine, you know, this guy, like, you know, whatever, you know, based on and you see them and they're like, you know, some, you know, the, the classic, like, uh, what are they called? You know, that incel meme, you know, the Wojak one, like you see them and you're like, what the fuck? I, I think you're like, <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you sound like Julius Caesar on um, on Twitter, you know, and you know it's weirder in real life. So, and I mean, that's the thing. You know, the the online world's the online world is strange. Like so sometimes I regret putting my real name and real face and real persona out there. Um, you know, because it kind of gives people uh, you know more of a target. But you know, at the same time, that's that's what I did, and you know, no regrets <laughs> every time. <laughs> I'm thinking of that, you know, that uh, tattoo, that <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's me right now. Brilliant. Alex, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to um, hear how you discover Bitcoin and whether um, your sort of fundamental beliefs and your personality are... Um, tethered to that discovery in some way and, and, ha and how you came about understanding the significance of Bitcoin and what what is your now motivation in the space? Because I, I want to talk about obviously Spirit Satoshi and other projects you're working on, but I want to sort of go right back to your first touch point with, with Bitcoin. So how I found it. Um, so, I, I mean, it's the, the usual story, you know, you have a touch point, you ignore it, and then you come back, you have another touch point. And, you know, I mean, some people, multiple touch points, whatever. M mine were two significant ones. I was a gold silver guy in 2010, 2011, um, very early on. Uh, I had, you know, my, my sort of journey started by me taking my scholarship money, putting it all on the stock market, thinking I was a genius. I turned $3,000 into $60,000 in like a matter of six or seven months. And I was like, you know, I had my spreadsheets out and I was like doing the math. I'm like, man, at this trajectory, I'll be a fucking billionaire by the time I'm 24. Uh, I figured out how to conquer the world. Warren Buffett can kiss my ass. Um, I, I thought I was like the king of the world. right? And, um, and anyway, uh, I, I remember it was like a week before I was turning 20. Um, I levered up big time, put my whole account on, you know, this particular trade. And I think... The next day or two days later, I think Bear Stearns or Lehman or someone went bust. It was 2007 uh, in August. And I basically, within a couple of days, I like lost everything. And, um, and then I ended up borrowing money, went on margin. And then, you know, basically, 
within three or four months, I was $250,000 in debt. So I was this like young university student. And I, you know, used to use the metaphor of like, you know, I was at the starting line with a car and I had the car in reverse when I took off. So like my goal was to be a millionaire by the time I was 20. And I started my 20th quarter of a million in debt. And that was a lot of money back then. I mean, this is, you know, pre, you know, or I mean, on the GFC, right? 2007, 2008. So um, my, my life just ended up taking an entrepreneurial journey. And while I was, um, I, went, I mean, I did door knocking. I did like, I built all these different businesses and some successful, some not. And during that time, I never stopped being interested in the markets. And I fell down the Mike Maloney, Doug Casey, Max Kaiser, Peter Schiff rabbit hole, right? And, you know, they were all like classic gold bugs back then. And I, I, it would have been Max, I'm pretty sure, like jumping up and down on a couch or something, telling people to buy Bitcoin, whatever it was, like, you know, and, and I just kind of disregarded. I'm like, uh, yeah, whatever, you know internet money money who cares i've got my gold and silver and you know i i did quite well out of gold and silver but uh you know i just didn't care about bitcoin and it didn't you know hit me again until 2015 um 2015 2016 sort of thing where this degenerate junkie friend uh that i had um who was you know purchasing things online with bitcoin um started rambling about it and he was like bro this you know have you heard of bitcoin i'm like yeah, yeah, I heard about it a while ago. I was like, man, my cousin made like twenty grand, like in in a you know out of hundred bucks, you know, like you know going. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And you know, and I look online and I see you know Bitcoin's like six hundred bucks. And I'm like, holy shit! Like the last time I remember hearing about this, it was like in the single digits. And um and yeah, that kind of like started my rabbit hole. And you know, I, I have this saying, you know, I came for the money, but I stayed for the money. Um, and you know, Bitcoiners will understand what that means. I started going down the rabbit hole and, you know, I climbed Mount Stupid. So I shitcoined, you know, I was on Bitrex. I, you know, messed around with all sorts of things. And, you know, I turned my, you know, at that time I bought like five, six, maybe even 10 Bitcoin. And after like trading for a whole year, I ended up with like two Bitcoin and, um, and, uh, you know, I had more USD, like my USD was up, but my Bitcoin amount was down. And I was like, you know, it, it kind of that plus, um, you know, going like reading more about Bitcoin, understanding it. Andreas Antonopoulos was very influential early in my, uh, you know, sort of Bitcoin learning uh, uh, era. And yeah, just like I very quickly became a Bitcoin maximalist. So I kind of say I climbed Mount Stupid and I came down relatively quickly. And um, and yeah, the just the just the, the, the raison d'etre for, for Bitcoin existing, that's what really drew me. So this idea of sound money, it like I already had a distrust for government, like because I I built a business in my mid twenties that the government basically botched up through really bad uh, regulations around rebates and all this sort of stupidity. They blew up an entire industry. So I already had like a disdain for them. I was already interested in gold, silver, hard money, sound money, all that sort of stuff. I was always a bit of a renegade um, and liked the idea of Bitcoin being like, fuck you money. And just all of these things just uh, hit me. And I think, yeah, come sort of 2017, 2018, if you sort of go back to this time, like it was Andreas and Dantel started getting a little bit strange. And then you had the rise of like the Bitcoin philosophers. So it was kind of like me, Gigi, Breedlove, Eric Kaysen, Nick Carter, Dan Hill, like all, all of us started writing about Bitcoin and just, it was this strange, like mind meld. We were all sort of talking the same thing, thinking the same thing. You know, you had Seyfedeen, uh, Jimmy Song, Jack Mazuka, like all these sort of people really started to get a voice during that period. And, um, and yeah, it was just, a like from a values perspective and from a, uh, how we view the world and how we understand the world, like, you know, then the Austrian economics component, all that sort of stuff. We just, there was just this massive click. And I think it was a very special time to, uh, be in Bitcoin, come into Bitcoin. It was just, um, yeah, it was a very unique period in Bitcoin history, I think. And yeah, that's sort of what, uh, that was my journey, basically. I'm quickly interested with um, your journey into Amber then as well, before we move on to the AI stuff. Uh, was the DCA service then a result of you having essentially lost Bitcoin but gained USD? Or how did you how did you come into the whole DCA thing? Yeah, it was a mixture. So like I, having traded for many, many years, right? So I was always doing options and warrants and all this sort of stuff. And, and you know, what dawned on me by 
by, you know, 2017, 2018 was like, I kind of look back on 10 years of trading and, you know, I had had multiple like, uh, extreme wins, right? Like 10, 50 X, like massive wins, but, um, like cut by a thousand losses along the way. So like I would like win massive and, you know, be like position my trades with like real, real asymmetry. But then like I, I just had this disease. I just kept trading, 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 and I would just like lose all of it over the, you know, the next five years. And then I'd have a massive win again. I'd be like, fuck yes, I'm back in the game. This and that. And then like the next couple of years, just lose it all again. And I was like, man, I, I look back and I basically if all I did was just put $10 a week into Amazon, like I would have been a millionaire, right? Because I, I started trading in 2008, like when Amazon was $34, and like all this time, like I spent all this time, energy, like trading and trying to be fucking cool and beat the markets and all this sort of shit. I wasted energy. I wasted time. I lost brain cells. I lost my fucking hair, like from the stress, like all of this shit for nothing. And, you know, when I, when I, when I, you know, started dabbling with uh, crypto trading, um, like that, that same deep, like I contended with those same demons really quickly, basically was, you know, that, cause I, I'd sort of given up trading. I was like, fuck this shit. It's stupid. I'm just going to build businesses. And, you know, crypto came along, started trading that shit. And then I saw the same thing. Like I was up in dollar terms, down in Bitcoin terms and just sort of dawned on me. I'm like, man, this is the same stupidity. So I was able to like within six months, like recognize that and say, this is fucking dumb. Went to Bitcoin and realize that, you know, once again, the best thing is just to accumulate this thing. It's too volatile. You can't guess it, you know, trying to be a hero with it. Like, you know, I, I lost a bunch on fucking Bitfinex on, you know, margin and all this sort of stuff, like going crazy. And yeah, I just figured this, this is, this is a savings instrument. This is a, this is a tool to preserve your purchasing power and you should just accumulate. And, and the metaphor that I started using back then was I said, imagine if you could go back 5,000 years before anybody like sort of understood what gold was or knew how to value it, everyone like just imagine a world where everyone was using chickens and like stones for money. And, you know, you found this yellow rock on the ground and you're like, what the fuck is this? You know, you try and buy some food with it. And the first person will be like, I'm not going to fucking give you food for gold. Like I can't eat it. I can't drink it. I can't wear it. It's worthless, right? It's the same thing that people say about Bitcoin today, right? But imagine if you just like, you knew somehow that this was going to become, you know, the monetary standard because of the physical properties that it had. Because everywhere you look, you see, you know, gold is the same, it's durable, it's portable, it's shiny, it's inert, all these sort of things. So imagine if you could have just like collected all of that gold, collect, collect, collect. And then as more and more people understand what the value is, and if you could have lived 5,000 years, you would go from the gold purchasing nothing to the gold purchasing everything. So I realized that the game here is collect, 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 which is another word for save, 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 save. And I figured the world needs a Bitcoin savings app. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize this. And I don't say this to brag. It was just, this was, uh, it was strange at the time was we rolled out the first Bitcoin only savings app. Now there was other savings apps out there. There was like, uh, there was one app called Acorns, which allowed you to like, you know, incrementally buy shares in companies. But there was nothing like that for Bitcoin. And particularly there was nothing like that for Bitcoin only. And, you know, we launched sort of late 2017, 2018, or that's when I started raising money. And, you know, people were just laughing at me. They're like, what do you mean Bitcoin only? Like, what about Ethereum? What about Dash? What about this? What about, like, it was just still crypto madness, right? And I said, no, it's Bitcoin only because Bitcoin is a savings instrument. They're like, but, you know, people want to trade. I'm like, no, no, no. Trading is for the idiots. And there's trading platforms out there for all the gamblers. So I want to help the average person save. And that was the, that was the real genesis. And we pushed that. I got laughed at for a whole fucking year by investors, by, you know, people and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, we managed to find a little bit of success and, you know, obviously the Bitcoin only theme started to build up. And then 2019, you had uh, like me and Swan, uh, sorry, me and Corey caught up in, um, you know, he originally had give Bitcoin and I encouraged them. I was like, dude, fuck giving Bitcoin, do a DCA product. And, you know, that's what, came out with Swan, Relay launched. Like, basically, we, I think we started a massive movement. Now, that's not to say if we weren't there, this movement wouldn't have started. This movement would have started. But I just think that we were one of the, um, one of, if not the first, dedicated Bitcoin-only DCA product. And, you know, now there's one in every country. So I'm really, really, really happy that I was like a part of that generation. I like your um, comparing the early adoption of gold and uh 
parallel um making that parallel with the early adoption of Bitcoin. I think that's a interesting way of looking at it. And and I can see quite clearly in my mind what you mean, because we can see the value in this thing. And it's, it's hard to get other people to also see that value. And it's a, a slow adoption. And then suddenly, um, you know, people are going to be accepting it everywhere. That's, that's the hope anyway. Um, but I'm just trying to uh, sort of like, transport myself back in in time uh, with somebody with a shiny rock trying to trade and how you can communicate the mm -hmm. significance and value of that rock uh, to somebody is quite a hard thing to do and it's very abstract very similar to um, how we're trying to communicate and understand the value of bitcoin communicating yeah. that to other people and what you did with your um uh dca project and and um incentivizing people in a way to hold that sort and, and sort of communicate that this is something you should hold on to as something valuable is obviously um in a, a, an important um step in in our in our journey and obviously you're doing the proof of work in trying to sort of communicate that value and you're doing that through all your writings and the book uh, that you've written and um, all the shows you're coming on including this one is part of that sort of communicating the value of bitcoin and um now you're working on uh, Spirit of Satoshi, and um, I want to ask before we venture into that, um, what is intelligence and um, how do we understand intelligence and, and have we got it wrong? Because the way I see it is just my movements here requires, you know, a lot of things happening in my brain just to sort of move and communicate with you. And I, I don't obviously think we're quite there with, with AI because it's just a code right where it's just predicting some text at the moment particularly when you're talking about uh, open ai but i'm quite interested to get your perspective on what intelligence is if, if that's okay yeah i mean that's that's a oh man that's such a hard question because I, I don't think we know what intelligence is you know some people call it pattern recognition some people call it uh you know the ability to adapt to a situation some people call it um you know uh being confronted with a problem and being able to solve it in different ways. So it's like if, you know, you come up with something and you're able to change the approach every single time, you know, you, you represent intelligence and, you know, they're, they're probably good ways to, um, to talk about intelligence, but you know, the, 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 the problem really gets tricky when people start to think of, uh, you know, AI as AGI. So like the general intelligence. And I think that, first of all, I think, we don't even understand how broad general intelligence is in the first place. Um, and then secondly, I don't think, I think general intelligence and the way we conceptualize it is more to do with consciousness and agency than it is to do with mechanics. So like if we, you know, assume that intelligence can be of different flavors and you can take like narrow slivers of intelligence, so you can say computational intelligence, right? Something that is computationally intelligent you know, is a calculator, basically. And, you know, you, you have different layers of calculators, and that's essentially what a computer is. A computer is a series of complex, you know, uh, calculators operating together to produce a screen, give me the ability to talk to you guys now, to, you know, do sentence completion, which is, you know, what language models do. Um, so... I guess, yeah, like no one, no one had, there's no real consensus around what intelligence is. Um, and yeah, it just, it just gets very, very, very sticky when we go into the realm of uh, AGI. And I, I personally don't think that's a possibility. I think there is something different or special about life specifically. And, you know, that, that I, I think human beings are the apex version of that life. And I think we are the only general intelligence possible because we have, we, we are injected with something like agency, which this, I feel like a lot of people just miss, they don't think about. And yeah, I mean, when the, the last thing I'll just sort of say on this is when people talk about, uh, you know, AGIs around the corner um, and they try and use stuff that OpenAI is doing as an example, which is honestly just, it's like just computational intelligence, such a small sliver. You think about, you know, what you said when you introed this question was like, you have intelligence running that is like lifting your arm, that is like producing voice, that is like producing thought. You've got hormonal intelligence going on. You've got emotional intelligence, muscular intelligence. Like you've got, we can't even count how many intelligence is going on at once. And that like creates this holistic general intelligence that makes up a human being. For us to think we're going to get to AGI all of a sudden, uh, assuming that AGI is something representative of, you know, human level intelligence is completely moronic uh, because, 
you know, what we're doing is we're focusing on the narrow dimension of computation and that doesn't uh, account for everything else. So um, yeah, anyway, that, that's sort of what I'll say on it is like intelligence is hard. Um, you know, AGI is completely, you know, red herring fucking pretzel brain stuff that just doesn't matter at the moment. Mm. And, you know, we just need to view these things as tools uh, you know, and it's just more advanced computation. Yeah, that's a very good keyword, using these things as tools, because I think especially in the Bitcoin community, we sometimes tend to um, either downplay uh, significant mechanisms to help orange pill more people, because I don't know about you, Alex, but like that's what we all do at the end of the day, right? Um, or show them the benefits mm -hmm. of Bitcoin. And uh, AI especially, if you actually go beyond the whole open AI um, fucking... I don't know. These guys. These guys are just weird. Just these weird Californian yeah, AI guys. Um, if, really if you actually weird, go man. into these different things, like for example, a learning mechanisms. How does the AI actually teach itself? It has to learn. You have to feed it a huge amount of information. Um, and this is obviously where we get these issues. Like if we feed them bad information, the output is always going to be worse. Whereas if we feed it good information, like you guys are doing, and we train it on a certain module, that's when it actually becomes powerful. And it's a tool for uh, humanity, for good, whatever you want to call it. Um, has that been your motivation in building Spirit of Satoshi? Because you said you left Amber, you wrote a year, and then you got back into it and went like, fuck, I need to do something again. Or what was the motivation behind a Bitcoin-centric uh, AI for you? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the initial motivation was I was actually just interested in doing another business again. And I was like, okay, well, you know, kind of done the Bitcoin business. You know, what, what else is out there? ChatGPT dropped. It was super interesting. I had just come out of a year of like writing stuff. And then, you know, this being a language model, uh, me, I've always been interested in language etymology, like my next book that's coming out, the Bushido of Bitcoin. I spend a bunch of like the 10 chapters in the book where I talk about the different virtues. Like the first part of each chapter is uh, etymological exploration of what do these words mean? You know, so I went into philology, etymology and all this sort of stuff. So I was just interested in language and these language models captivated me initially. And then I thought, okay, what can you build with these things? You know, could you bring you know, ancient characters to life uh, somehow? So the first incarnation of the app actually was a, was a mentoring app where we were trying to build like, you know, your Mark Sorelius and, you know, Steve Jobs and all these, you know, interesting characters into like a coaching app on a phone. Uh, we realized after a couple of months of tinkering with that, that it was a dumb idea because A, people actually want to talk to the real person um, and B, um, I mean, it was just the, the fidelity of the characters was just very low. So it, it was just wrappers rap, uh, on ChatGPT and it was just a really poor basic product. So we kind of dumped that. And what I was sort of thinking around the time we dumped that was, okay, what, what is like, what, what's a use for this language model thing? And I thought, well, you know, these are basically glorified search engines that you can interact with and, you know, What's that useful for? And, you know, I just racked my brain and what hit me, obviously, just being a Bitcoiner was, well, everyone's got the same damn, you know, 50 questions about Bitcoin just in a thousand different variations. And if these language models, you know, are semantically useful, meaning if you ask the same question, but with different wording and it gives you sort of like an answer, could we take this technology and just basically build a a Bitcoin assistant, I don't know, a Bitcoin helper, uh, an Ask Satoshi, whatever the hell you want to sort of frame this thing as, could we build that and make it so that me and other Bitcoiners can just stop being bothered by everyone with the 10,000 questions and have to just sit there and explain this shit like over and over and over and over again. You know, people don't read anymore. Like, you know, they're fucking, they just want somebody to answer the questions for them. So we thought like, okay, at this point, I think everything that needs to be said about Bitcoin economically, philosophically speaking, has been said, has already been written. You know, all the books are out there. Everything's already done. So let's take the shit, let's synthesize it, and let's put it into a model and then just have a Bitcoin model that if anybody does have questions, go there and ask it, you know, and what could then be the use cases for it? And we can talk about use cases uh, afterwards, but that was sort of the, the motivation, the premise, the idea behind uh, doing all of this. And... Yeah, as, as we sort of fell down that rabbit hole, um, that's what we set out to do. That's really cool. And um, one thing I'm curious about and um, wanted to ask you is, 
with OpenAI um, and ChatGPT, you, you hear about the biases that are built into it, right? And um, we can talk all day about where those biases come from. But how how does Spirit Satoshi stand alone from that? And the training um, that you're giving it, is that um, a consensus type training where other Bitcoiners are uh, involved in that project or, or how, how are you approaching um, it learning in that way? Yeah, so let's let's disentangle bias. So bias, and this is one of the big myths in AI is that you can have an unbiased AI, which total horseshit. Um, bias is just essentially a model of the world or an opinion or a viewpoint, you know, or a part of the Overton window of the spectrum of ideas and opinions you can have, right? So all data, all data fundamentally have has an intrinsic bias. When someone writes an article, when someone writes a news report, when someone writes a Wikipedia piece, an essay, a book, whatever, they all contain a bias. So I don't care who you are, when you're training a model and you are feeding something data, you are feeding a bias no matter what you do. Um, you can try and uh, minimize the bias by adding like a, a pre um, a preframe and a post frame in the responses that the model gives you, which is what OpenAI does. It's like, you know, by the way, I'm a model, so what I'm going to say right now is not my opinion, but, you know, then it injects the thing. And then afterwards it says, you know, and sorry if I'm offending you or whatever. And it's like, well, I just want to know the fucking middle piece. Don't give me the other shit, you know, because it's trying to make it unbiased, right? So bias is inherent and all we're doing is we're just being honest about our bias. Our model will definitely be biased and its bias will reflect some aggregate of the Bitcoin content we train it on. Simple as that. Now, you know, Bitcoin biases include things like inflation is bad. You know, uh, a fixed supply money is superior. Um, Bitcoin is not a shitcoin. Bitcoin is not crypto, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, so th these are the biases that our model will naturally contain. Um, and I, I'm not afraid to tell people that, yes, we are totally going to be mm -hmm. biased. <laughs> you know, like if you ask Satoshi about inflation, he'll tell you it is theft, that it is a loss of your purchasing power and all that sort of stuff. You know, might someone say, oh, yeah, but that's not very neutral. Well, it's not, of course, because we want to tell people, you know, we want to present this model of the world. Yeah, as someone who's worked in the media industry, I don't have an issue if most of my friends, you know, are very left-leaning, for example, and I'm more on the aspect of like, I don't give a shit what you guys think about. Um, but I do have an issue if they persuade themselves as the almighty and thinking that they're better than anyone else, just because their bias always creeps into like, oh, you know, this guy writes about A, he has the same opinion, I do too, so like we must be right, right? Um, whereas if you actually have an open model where people can contribute, you can go, right, okay, if you think our module has too many I don't know, libertarian biases, you read that a lot on European Twitter, then fucking assemble people who have a different opinion and feed that information into the into the model and see if it actually trains upon it and if it gives you different outlooks. Because um, I like the quote you said earlier that the biases are basically just perspectives of the world. So if at the end of the day you have your AI trained to a way we can say, answer this in a very, I don't know, pro-government Bitcoin way, if that exists, I don't know, he'll answer. And if that is another option, you can ask it the other option and it gives you the same answer. Yeah. Um, That's when the computer catches fire. Exactly, exactly. I, like, I think it would explode beforehand. So. Just combust. <laughs> <laughs> but I tried to give the extreme example there. Um, if we check out the website of Spirit of Satoshi, you'll see that you currently are able to... Um, I guess register, reach out to you guys to train the model, and you're also working on a um, obviously on the chatbot features. Comparing it to other AI models, are there different products on the horizon? I know generative AI pictures and stuffs. Or do you want to yeah, we've got a lot. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so um, we're not we're not going to do image mm. stuff because that's just like out of our ballpark. Like so. Our model is not so much going to be for like large consumer mm. use. We're not going to be doing chat GPT because we, we, I mean, we don't have a million dollars a day to burn on compute. Right. And to be honest, anyone who's like, like nobody's actually figured out how to make money out of AI yet, except for the, the data companies and the um, graphics card businesses. Honestly, they're the only two making money because the data companies are working on uh, manipulating and transforming mm. the data. Um, and the graphics card companies are just selling the graphics cards and, you know, all the computers being burned through. So, um, you know, run, running models, like this is the one big like difference with, um, you know, 
the AI age of software. And I think there's going to be a massive AI reckoning in the next year or two. There'll be a massive correction in the mm. industry, which is you build a normal software product, an app, website, whatever. Your uh, upfront cost is high because you've got to develop it and build it and you know host it and everything. But then your future marginal cost is super low. Like, you know, you, you pay a couple hundred bucks a month to host it. You know, you have your database, you know, and the app just does its thing, right? And, you know, maybe you have a developer to maintain it. Whereas AI products require live inference every time you're asking something, which means you are burning, you're, you're turning a fucking GPU on and you have a live cost every time somebody uses it. This is orders of magnitude more expensive than a normal app. And this is a big challenge. Like this is why I don't know if there's going to be, you know, uh, broad, you know, consumer AIs all over the place. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe in the next 5, 10, 15 years, whatever, you know, the cost of compute comes down significantly so that that's possible. But, you know, there's this sort of Jevons paradox, right, which is as, you know, things get cheaper, we end up using them, you know, more. So that way, like, you know, we will want the next AI and the next AI and like the benchmarks are going to keep sort of going higher, um, you know, unless there's some sort of ceiling to the efficacy, in which case, you know, the cost of compute coming down will mean that, you know, we've, we've reached the ceiling on efficacy and then, you know, the price comes down and then everybody can have an AI. So, so, so I'm not sure which way this is going to go. This is an open question. Like we, by the time people are listening to this, there should be the, um, the first annual Bitcoin AI report that we just published is about 50 pages. You know, it's kind of like the, the lightning report that, um, that river, uh, released a couple months ago. So it'll be very similar to that. Um, but we sort of delve into that question. We, we, we take people through, you know, our journey, what we build, et cetera, but, Coming, coming back to the um, to the question about like what else are we going to do? Well, the way we see it is it's probably not going to be a consumer app, although we'll make it uh, available through our website for people to chat with. Um, we're also going to list it on Hugging Face um, so that way anyone can download it and you know play with it themselves. But I think the use case is more likely to be uh, products that leverage the model to enhance a a company, a Bitcoin company or a Bitcoin content creator, their processes. So it could be anything from a, a Bitcoin company that needs help onboarding people. Like let's say the next bull run comes in and shit, you know, they don't have enough time to hire good Bitcoiners to talk customers through, to do customer success and all this sort of stuff. Well, you know, get Satoshi to try and like be the first line of defense. He handles 80% of the queries, blah, 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 and then passes the stuff off onto humans. So you could sort of like scale up your operations that way. Uh, another thing we're doing is we're building him as an education assistant. So you can kind of think of the Satoshi suite of models, which we're going to open source. And then Spirit of Satoshi is like a character that leverages our Satoshi suite of models. And that character has his own Twitter page now. Um, you know, he's got about two and a half thousand followers there. And like every day he posts a new um, insight from books, from articles, from essays, from videos, whatever. And the Spirit of Satoshi character is a mix of our model and us mm. together. You know, we, we use the model to generate the first bit of stuff and then we adapt it, et cetera. And this is like a way for people to learn about Bitcoin. So I think in time, the spirit of Satoshi as a character will become a place that it'll sort of be like a trusted expert about Bitcoin online. We are, we are writing the first uh, book now um, together with the spirit of nice. Satoshi. Um, sort of, and that'll be like, it's called 21 questions. And what we've done is we've condensed the 21 most common, pertinent, important questions about Bitcoin. And we, we got a bunch of like Bitcoin influencers. So like Brunel, Guy Swan, Knut, Jeff Booth, all these people to give us like answers. And we've con like, we've combined those answers uh, into the questions for each chapter. Mm -hmm. And then Satoshi does like a synthesis of all of it uh, as a conclusion to that. So this is like an easy book that people will be able to sort of read and be like, okay, what are, what are the main questions like that people have about Bitcoin? When like, what is this shit? What is money? Why is it important? Why is it different? You know, is it going to boil the oceans? Like all this sort of stuff. And we just sort of answer those out. So, yeah. So you've got sort of second application. So first application for businesses, second application for um, as, as just a standalone entity and a character that people can follow and learn from. And then finally, we're sort of building what we're calling code Satoshi which is a fine-tuned variant of our model that focuses on assisting developers to build Bitcoin applications that interact with Bitcoin and Bitcoin-related protocols. So the first one is going to help people do Miniscript. Um, you know, most developers out there, you know, they'll know JavaScript, they'll know, um, you know, uh, Python, they'll know, they'll know, they'll know like traditional 
tech, but you know, ask them to write a Bitcoin product and they'll have no idea what they're doing. So we want to you know, have code Satoshi available to help developers from outside of Bitcoin build Bitcoin applications. So they're kind of like the three pillars that we're focusing on. I find it interesting when I'm listening to you now, you're able to give me a, correct, um, a concrete answer to what I'm asking, actually, because usually if you hear uh, people t talking about Bitcoin and AI, you know, think about... I don't know, Kathy Wood on like one of her ARK Invest calls where she goes like, oh, you know, actually we've recognized Bitcoin and Tesla early on. So like you need to listen to us now because this combination is powerful. If you have to then listen to what she says, you go like, well, you're just talking a lot of horseshit. And you're basically just saying like, oh, yeah, okay, you found something you can invest in early again to get your fucking returns. How do you sometimes feel about these VCs or these experts, quote unquote experts coming in and sort of, dismantling the space almost a bit or um is there anything particularly you want to add to that comment yeah i mean what, what you find is like everything is narrative and honestly man it just drives drives you crazy sometimes because like what you realize is that most people are just talking out of their ass they don't know anything they don't understand anything like the amount of people i've you know met in like honestly ai is like super cringe i, I don't know what's more cringe out of that in crypto like You know, people just run around and they're just like, they make these stupid promises. Oh, you train your own model and your own data. You know, it's like, well, no, like, first of all, there's not enough data about you. Um, second of all, the cost of synthesizing all that data in, in a format uh, that a model can be trained on is way too expensive for most people. Like you, you would have to be multimillionaire to go and spend the money on doing that. And thirdly, like, where are you going to run the fucking inference for your model? Like, you know, That that's expensive. So it's like it's just so stupid the kind of stuff that gets uh, tossed around. So what people generally default to is like these nebulous claims. It's like, oh, you know, AI and Bitcoin are going to revolutionize the world. They're going to transform the way people do this. And like, so so they'll say all these things that sound nice, but like as you said, there's nothing concrete. So it's like, okay, so can you give me an example? It's like, oh yeah, it'll do this. It'll like it'll it'll you know make lives better. It'll like alleviate you know poverty and confusion. Like it's like okay, but how? And like they'll, they'll, they'll duck and dodge and, you know, they'll give you the dumbest examples. And th this is something like we, we honestly, when we were digging into this, we're like, fuck, how are we going to use this thing? Like this, you know, like at some point, honestly, I was like, we're in a, in the depths of despair. Like, okay, this thing is fucking useless. We just like spent a bunch of money and time and energy just building a, you know, a big search engine for Bitcoin stuff. It's like, okay, congratulations. But like the more we dug, like we figured out, okay, th there is probably some concrete applications, but it's not what we set out uh, thinking they were. And, and I mean, you look at most of the AI space, honestly, man, it's just narrative, 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 which is why nobody's making money. Um, everybody is subsisting off VC money at the moment. And that's also why, you know, the comment that I made before, I think there's going to be a huge reckoning in this space. Everyone's like sort of prepping themselves, oh, AI, AGI is around the corner. Like, you know, the next, uh, you know, decade of AI companies are going to be the biggest trillion dollar. It's like no fucking wrong. Watch, mark my words, in the next year or two, there'll be a massive bear market in AI. We're going to go through another AI winter because people are going to realize, well, this is useless for 99% of things, except, you know, 1% of use cases out there makes sense. Mate, I love it. That's, that's um, very thought-provoking stuff. I'm going to go away and think about all that you said. And I think um, you're right in the sense there seems, there seems to be an explosion of AI at the moment and um, it seems to be they're throwing everything to see what, what sticks and there's going to be so many people rug pulled and, and burnt as a consequence down, down the line, I feel. Um, but I want to just go back to your initial rabbit hole story because there was um, a phrase that you said earlier and that was, I think it was, um, you came for the money and you stayed for the money and the popular sort of... Um, narratives you hear or the sound bites you hear uh, in the bitcoin ecosystem um the one being i came for the money but i stayed for the revolution mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it prompted me to think and ask uh, this question and that is you you hear these sound bites in in the bitcoin space i don't know bitcoins for everyone or bitcoin can't be racist or yeah. um all these sort of stuffs is there any sort of popular bitcoin narratives or sound bites that you don't quite subscribe to and um, maybe we can just quickly discuss yeah i mean the bitcoin is for everyone is the dumbest one i think is like i think bitcoin is for anyone but not for everyone um and i think that's like it, it sounds like a silly distinction sounds just like semantics but i i think it's fundamentally important because bitcoin is open for anyone but it just fundamentally isn't for everyone some some people are just genuinely 
sheeple or statists. You know, they, they believe that, you know, the government exists to redistribute the wealth and all this sort of stuff. You know, they, they, they believe it. They, they genuinely believe that windmills are going to save the fucking world. So like all this stuff, like, um, you know, it's, Bitcoin's not for them. It's, it's not for them. I'm sorry. Like at some point, maybe their kids and their descendants will end up using Bitcoin, you know, if they even have any fucking descendants, but like, you know, it's just, I'm sorry, like trying to be all inclusive and all this sort of stuff is just not doing anybody any favors. Like some people hate Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin, I guarantee you is not for Janet Yellen. You know, Bitcoin is not for, um, you know, what's that lizard lady from the ECB Lagarde, right? Like it's just, it's just not for these people. Like, I'm sorry. Um, you know, it's not for the average mask wearing weirdo, right? Like, um, it's just, so, so yeah, that, that one I really, really hate. And, you know, another one that pisses me off is like, we are all Satoshi. Like that one just drives me nuts right. because no, we're not like Satoshi did something incredible. Like I, I get the sense, like I understand what people are saying. It's like, oh, you know, it's anonymous and like, you know, we're all sort of supporting the network, etc. But it's like, I don't know, to me, it's a bit cringe. Like, um, like go, go and build something yourself and do something great. Like, um, like try to hide behind the Satoshi thing. Yeah, I, I agree with that one in the sense that people are sort of, we can't say we're all, because Satoshi um, did some proof of work and something significant and brought about this yeah. thing called Bitcoin, right? And um, it's now up to us to think about how we can build on top of that. Um, so, yeah, it, it kind of dilutes the sort of significance of Satoshi's work when yeah, fuck people yeah. say stuff like that. And um, yeah, the Bitcoin is for anyone. Um, yeah, I, I can see definitely where you're coming from with that. And um, I'm, I'm going to, also use a soundbite that is often in the Bitcoin space because uh, the all roads lead back to Bitcoin is something you hear often. And we've started to adopt that a little bit here at Rabbit Hole Stories as a little bit of a challenge at the end of our show where we sort of give our guests a word, a phrase or, um, you know, a, a name. And uh, we ask them to try and um, relate that back to Bitcoin somehow um so if you're up for it alex yeah, we're, we're gonna uh we're gonna come up with a, a word phrase or name and you got to try and relate that back to bitcoin somehow and uh, we thought it'd be quite interesting uh to come up with a word karl marx and how that can relate back to bitcoin <laughs> good luck okay all right okay this is fantastic um shit well, before before i before i pull one off um uh <laughs> Funny thing, funny thing is uh, our model actually, part of the mm. way we've trained it is when people ask about random things, part of its instructions are to actually relate it back to Bitcoin. So oh, I cool. wish, yeah, I, I, oh, I nice. wish we had like a voice generator here for the model because I could ask Toshi to do it. But um, okay, so Karl Marx and relate it back to Bitcoin. Well, um, hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think, I mean, the, the only, uh, thing I can think of is something that we knew it was going to be a hard yeah. one. That's a, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, there's, there's no positive way to relate, uh, it to Bitcoin other than, you know, Bitcoin makes, uh, people like Karl Marx, um, you know, obsolete and mm. irrelevant. And it's kind of like, it, t it takes that class of individual and, you know, it makes them ram their head into a concrete wall um, because there's nothing they can do about uh, mm -hmm. the fact that Bitcoin exists and you can't confiscate uh, the money out of uh, people's hands. So like, yeah, I guess that that's the only relationship. It's like, a, it's a strange inverse relationship. It's like Bitcoin goes up, Karl Marx goes down. Like, you know, the stronger it gets, the weaker he gets and his influence and everything like that. Maybe one of the... So there's my half after 10. <laughs> no, that's a good one. <laughs> Maybe one of the Bitcoin traders can make a indicator for people, like a Karl Marx indicator. If he goes down, your Bitcoin price should pump yeah. or something like this line. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, or maybe, maybe, maybe we can, I mean, we, we built the, um, did you guys ever see in Amber, we had the, buy the shift button. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you could set up an automation every time shift quote tweets about Bitcoin, it buys you from Bitcoin. <laughs> but, um, the, th that, that's another potential button, the Karl Marx one, which is like, you know, you stack go. sats to kill Marx, to, to erase Marx's memory or something like that. Now, like every time it's like, <laughs> Karl Marx is like, oh, starts, you know, starts to die or something. Yeah, I think when you set, set your answer, the only thing that came up in my mind is he's been a heavily pro-centralizing figure, obviously, and Bitcoin is the opposite of that. But there's really nothing where you can go 
any positive from his end and then relate it back to Bitcoin somehow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's literally exactly. There's no positive. I mean, you know, Karl Marx and what he represented was the envious individual that wants to bring everything down, right? Like he wants to average everything, wants to equalize everything, wants to turn everything to gray goo, right? So it's even beyond centralization. It's just an it's a, it's a downward energy. It's an energy of ugliness. Whereas Bitcoin is something that promotes excellence. It promotes differentiation. It promotes peaks. Like the word excellence, you know, we're speaking about etymology before. To excel, like it comes, you know, from the Indo, uh, Proto-Indo-European sort of, um, so there's excellere, which I think is Latin, and egg, which means to, um, in the Proto-Indo-European uh, linguistics, it means to to climb a mountain, you know, to, to separate oneself from others. So like Bitcoin is an excellence-oriented, uh, money excellence-oriented, technology excellence-oriented innovation, whereas Karl Marx was a a average or a downward or an equalitarian oriented thing, which is a, you know, one has vitality and energy. The other has like ugliness and, you know, patheticness, whatever. I don't know which way to say it. So it's like, that's their relationship. It's completely inverse. Mm. Nice. I think that's the the best way to head towards the end of the show. Um, Alex, I also want to give you the stage now uh, before we head off to, you know, doing all the social stuff and where people can follow. Is there anything you want to add or give to the listeners before closing up as well? Uh, do you know what? the um, What I will is I'll give everyone a code for, um, for the Bitcoin Times. So once a year we publish uh, the Bitcoin Times publication, which is um, basically I select six, it's by invitation only and I can select six of the best writers um, to write a unique essay around a particular theme. So like last year we did um, the Austrian edition. So it was looking at Bitcoin through an Austrian economic lens and Austrian economics through a Bitcoin lens that had Seyfedean, Pierre Rashad, Rahim Tagizadegan, Conrad Graf, and we got uh, Michael Goldstein out of hibernation. He wrote his first piece in like five years. Um, the, you know, a couple of years before that we had Jeff Booth, Giacomo Zucca, Parker Lewis, Eric Kaysen. We've had Breed Love. We've had like all the great writers in every different edition this year we're doing the energy edition and we we print 2100 of each edition as a collectible so it's like a collectible item um it's like thick heavy print magazine and there's a number on the back you know showing you how many there is um what, what sort of number you are and so people generally just buy it like a, a the all of the issues for each edition and yeah so this year the energy edition uh it will start shipping in christmas and if people use the code uh, energy, they'll get 40,000 sats off. And to give you an idea, they are priced in sats at the time of release somewhere like, you know, they're, they're pricier than a normal magazine, you know, because they're collectible. Um, but that price is that sats price is fixed forever. So like if the price mm. of Bitcoin goes up, they just get more expensive. So it's, uh, nice. it's something, you know, you can stack Bitcoin times alongside stacking your Bitcoin. So that's, that's what I'll offer people listening to this if they're interested. So bitcointimes.io and they can, navigate their way through it. Perfect. We'll link everything in the show notes, obviously. Um, and I guess on uh, Twitter, where's the best platform if people want to reach out to you? Yeah, Twitter is the best, man. So under, uh, you know, at Svetsky writes, so like writes, like writing, R-I-T-E-S. Perfect. Perfect. Alex, thank you very much for coming on and for all the listeners out there, stay curious and make sure to follow us for, follow, for more episodes later down the line. Thank you, gentlemen.